Last week we spoke about um, I'm a child of God. And uh, it's interesting that we, we, it's amazing, we sang that song. You know, it's such a, it is such a deep truth. And I, I pray that in this week, out of your small groups, that God has spoken to you in that thing. Is, um, it, it was, it was an, I think it was an incredible week this week for me, those daily devotionals, just every day. There's little nuggets of gold in there. And I, I really want to encourage you as you go through those daily devotions, just have a highlighter, write it down, make a note on your phone, something like that. Whatever God speaks to you um, uh, through, that, through those daily devotions, just write it on a post-it note and stick it on your steering wheel or on your desk or on your computer screen or something where you can be reminded of it throughout the day and throughout the week. Um, but the title of this morning is um, <clears throat> I Am a Servant. So we're on page, uh, page 8 and 9 of the book. So page 8, the blank side on the left, <clears throat> is where you can take some notes. And then page 9 is for the, the midweek video. You'll see that's entitled How Can I Serve God More Effectively? Um, if you need a book, by the way, if you need one of those identity booklets, there are still some spare. You can grab one at the back there. Um, is there anyone that needs one? Anyone need one? No need. Do you need one? Okay. Yours disappeared. Jay will get you them. Thanks, Jay. Can we get two there, Jay? Okay, so three. Three, sorry. So there you go. One for Wanda there. One for Noni. Oh, thanks, Tish. Oh, another two. And one for Pumlan as well, please, Jay. Oh, is that? No, look in the box. There might be more in the box here. Those are just the ones that were put out. Thanks to the wonders of modern editing, this service looks much smoother on YouTube. My wife makes me look good. It's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. All right, so the title for this morning, <clears throat> I'm a servant and here's my master. You can put here's my master in brackets. Um, <clears throat> Those two obviously go together. Now, if, um, and this is, this is probably like one of the most countercultural sort of messages that you'll get out of religious upliftment and self-centered spirituality that pervades most of the world today. Because most of us don't dream of being a servant, if we're honest. Most cultures don't teach you need to become a servant they teach that we should all try and get to the top of the pile. We should be the ones who are being served. We should aspire to have servants and to be the ones who are served. And yet, Jesus is a, a large thrust of what Jesus teaches and what he speaks to us is that we are to become servants. So what did you feel as you wrote down that I am a servant? You feel like, I don't really know, but that's his title, not mine. So, this is just what Mark said, I'm writing it down, but it's not necessarily, but it is a truth for us, for each and every one of us, that we are servants. And you might think, like coming off the back of last week, like how can we be, how can we be child and servant? Those are like polar opposites. You know, in a home, a servant is not a child. They're there to work and do a job and just, just to serve. But a child is different. But in, in our faith, in following Jesus and what Jesus teaches, there are two sides of the same coin. It really is two truths that belong together. They seem like these paradoxes, but actually it's truths that we can hold in tension, and it's not an either-or, it's a both-and in this moment. And, you know, so much of our, our lives are dedicated to getting ahead and to, to having more and to being more in control. 
and to be more the ones who can determine we're the masters of our own destiny. That's what we, we'll get married when I'm financially free because then I can do what I want. I'll, I'll have kids when we, our marriage is stable and we have more finances. And we, we lie to ourselves with these things, thinking that the more that we have and the more that we get, be it money, power, whatever, is the more control we have and the more we are in the master of our own lives. And yet into that, into this moment, Jesus speaks to become for us to become servants. Paul wrote a very large portion of the New Testament, half, more than half by some measures, and he was an exceptional leader in the early church, the Apostle Paul. He writes more than 10 times in his letters, he refers to himself as a servant. Just a few of them, there's just three. In his introductions to Romans, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. You know, I look around, and, and particularly in the church today, you don't see many flyers going out with, come and listen to servant Darius, or servant Peter, or, or it's apostle and prophet, and we want to give these massive names to us to make ourselves feel better and seem better. But Paul introduces himself, probably one of the greatest minds in Christianity since Jesus, I am a servant of Jesus. Philippians 1.1, he does the same thing. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. He includes Timothy in that. I wonder if he asked Timothy. Are you happy if I just... I don't think he did. Paul, Timothy was a young man whom Paul was discipling, and he just, we are servants. That's who we are. And the amazing and incredible things God calls them to do, the traveling the world with the gospel, planting churches, healing people, servants of Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 3.7, Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. Paul being a servant is a gift. How many of us want the gift of servanthood? No, no, we want like, give me the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy or the gift of words of knowledge, something to impress people. Paul says, I was given a gift of servant, servanthood by God's grace. What is interesting is that Jesus himself emphasized, now you might think that's great because Jesus is king and like we have to serve him, but Jesus emphasized that he was the one who came to serve. You know, he had, he had, Jesus had these disciples with him. He walked with them three, three and a half years odd, and he had to go through some stuff with them, and he had to work some things out of these young men and work some other stuff into them. And so at one moment he's going along, it's in Matthew chapter 20, but you don't have to turn there. But he's coming along, and, and he's got two disciples with him. And these two disciples um, have, a, have a kind of overbearing mom. And uh, she gets involved in this. She feels like her sons aren't advancing quite as, as fast as they should. It's kind of like a, some of the, the school WhatsApp groups where the moms get like, you know, what about my child and this. And, um, but that she comes along, and she says, hey, when, when, you, when you enter your glory... Please put one son on your left and one son on your right. In other words, the most prominent places. Can you imagine the other disciples? Brie, does your mom like still wash you at night like this? You, you still, does your mom still bath you? Like she's got to go and ask Jesus for these things for you. But there they go. She wants these places of prominence for her sons. She wants them to be important when Jesus comes in. She's like, she's fighting for them. She's a, a mom who cares. She's like, nothing wrong with it, but... She misunderstands what's going on. The other disciples hear about this, and they get miffed. All of the rest of them, they're no better than these guys, because they also want, they're like, hey, but hey, how come you get seats of prominence? We want those as well. That's why they get miffed. That's why they get upset. And into this moment, Jesus says an incredible thing. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 to 28, 
he says to them, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. That's a strong word, man. Like serving I can do, but slave I'm not so sure. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, that's the ultimate service that Jesus gave us, is he gave his life for us. Are you, as a servant, willing to give your life for others? I trust you see the, the radical importance of what Jesus is saying, that he came to serve. And as disciples of Jesus, we've got to follow his heart. We're going to follow him day in and day out. And that's our role, is we become like Jesus and we do what he did. And we've got to serve in the way that he served. It's not a punishment, friends. It's a privilege. Many of us see serving as a punishment. We're like, oh, this is the bad side of church. I'm going to get up early on a Sunday and come in and put out flags and put these chairs out. And, oh, it's hard work, man. At least on the other days, I don't have to do it. I get, I get the privilege of just being with God in the nice stuff. But serving is not a punishment. It's a privilege. Remember that, uh, that picture we showed of the, the circles? Um, we've got the, the white circle is the what I believe, and the yellow circle is what God sees. And, and we've been looking at it, and um, so chap- like, like part three is the, the lies that we believe about ourselves that God doesn't say are true. Part two is everything, part one and two is everything God says about us. Part two is the parts we don't necessarily believe about ourselves yet. And part one is the sweet spot where what God says is true and what we believe overlap. And we're trying to increase that part one. We're trying to push those two circles together to get what we believe aligned with what God says about our identity. You see, and what, often what we believe is greatness is important. That's a circle three belief that we have. To be prominent in other people's eyes is what we must aim for. That's a segment three belief that we often hold, a lie that we have. But you see, greatness in the kingdom is becoming a servant. Being first means becoming God's slave. That's what we read in those verses. And friends, God wants to transform our understanding and transform our identity by moving those two circles closer together, by overlapping them more. So for the rest of this morning, I'm going to look at four things that we get out of being servants of Christ, the four kind of privileges that we have in this moment. And it's a, we have access to His plans, His protection, His provision, and His praise. And the first one is, you can write it down, number point one is, I have access to His plans. I have access to His plans. The Master leads us and guides us. We are servants, and He leads us and guides us, and that is a safe place to be, you know? Uh, many of you will know the story of Jesus' birth. If you don't, uh, it's, a, it's a remarkable account of his mother Mary, who was a young woman, probably a teenager, not quite yet a bride. She was kind of engaged to be married, and um, she was still probably living with her, her folks in that state. She wouldn't have moved in with Joseph yet. Didn't happen in those times too often. And Mary gets this visitation from an angel. Most of us have an incorrect picture of angels. We think of our kids in a nativity scene with a little wire halo and some nice white clothing. But every time angels show up in the Bible, the first thing they say is, do not be afraid. Because they were probably pretty terrifying to look at when they arrived. They were probably, it was like out of the ordinary. And so this angel Gabriel comes and visits Mary and speaks to Mary. And he says to her, you're going to have a child. 
The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you, and that's how you're going to get pregnant. God is going to birth within you the Son of God. And you're going to give birth to the Messiah, the Christ. You're going to give birth to Him, and you're going to call Him Jesus. He's going to reign over everything forever. So after Mary gets over the shock of all of this, Mary's response is truly incredible for a young Jewish girl in the backwaters of Israel. She has this incredibly wise and mature response. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled, Luke 138. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me, may the Lord's word be fulfilled. And she loved that. She's like, I don't, have, I don't fully understand everything. I don't quite know the biology of how this is going to work out. There's no like, okay, when, like, it's a bit inconvenient. Can we wait till after we married so that it doesn't look so bad socially on our families? It's going to be heavy orcs if, like, I'm pregnant and we're not married. This is, this is not going to work out real well, Lord. If you could just put that off for a few months, that'd be great. Mary just doesn't understand everything, but her response is a heart that says, I don't need to understand everything. I am the servant. He is the master. I'm going to trust you in this moment, God. And that was a big thing. She could have been ostracized, kicked out of society at the very least. She could have been stoned because Joseph could have accused her of sleeping around with someone else. It's a hectic moment, and she trusts God fully in that moment. I hope we see the, the gravity of what Mary does in that moment. We think, you know, we know the rest of the story, so we're like, oh, it's a privilege. It would have been like, you know, to have the Son of God, that's, that's a pretty big thing. But Mary didn't know all of that in that moment. She knew only what he had told her, and she chooses to trust. She becomes the mother of Jesus, and her response is, I am the servant. See, one of the, this addresses one of the major issues we all have, is that I want to be the boss. We want to be in control. And if we're honest, we're probably terrible rulers at our own destiny. But we still want to be in charge. And this is what makes that part of our identity so profound, that we are servants. When we, when we lay down our own mastership of our lives, wanting to be masters and to rule us, and we to, to lead in such a flawed, selfish, sinner's way, and we're willing to trust a holy and pure God, we surrender to His awesome leadership, you're going to find out that from here on out, what God tells us to do is the best for us. That it might, we might not see it, and we might not know in that moment what's coming and where we're going. But from my experience in this journey, and, and I'll be honest, I often get it wrong. There are two things that we get when we accept this part, that it's the master's plans that we get to follow and that we have access to. And the first one is relief. Honestly, it's a lot having the pressure of trying to lead your own life all the time in the right way and get it right day in and day out. But when we're going to go, man, I'm just going to lay down what I'm doing and my plans and I'm going to submit to how God leads me, it is a relief, friends. If you're feeling that pressure of like, I've got to get it right. It's a big decision. I don't know what I'm going to do. Where am I going to go? How is this going to work out for me? Maybe it's a, a destiny decision you've got to make and it's a life-changing thing of like, man, if I choose this, then it goes that way. If I don't choose, then I could miss out and trust in the Father's plans in those moments. It's a relief to not have that pressure on you. The second thing we get is joy. I lay down my small and selfish ideas and submit to his big and perfect ways. And I discover that, honestly, being a servant to the ultimate master, to Jesus, is what I was designed for. It actually fits. It doesn't like the gears. It's like being in gear nicely. The gears don't grind. It's not like the clutch is slipping. We actually get into a place where things are running smoothly. 
because that's what we're made for. We're made for living for His purposes. You see, the difficulty we have with these things is that God doesn't usually give us the whole plan in advance. It's like a join the dots picture. He's, on, he's going, look, there's number, you're on 22, there's number 23. 24 is similar direction, but don't worry about 24, just follow 23. We haven't even got to dot 23, and we're taking out the coloring in pencils, and we're starting to color in the picture because we think we know what the end is going to look like. And Jesus is like, man, this is not right. You know, I remember I was, I was struggling with something um, once and, and where we were going and what was happening in our lives, and I felt frustrated with church, and I was frustrated with my studies and just work. I was at a dead end, and it just didn't feel like life was going well. And we went down to a, a moment where church is gathered, and, and the guy preaching gave this great illustration, and he, he said he, he saw in a dream God was drawing this picture, and he was drawing a picture of a, a cheetah, and, and he felt like he was right around the base of the tail, and that's not a great place to be, but he felt like that's where his life was at the moment, was right by the bum of the cheetah. And uh, he felt God was taking him away, and he, and he just felt like, Lord, I'm just going away from like leading and being the head, and like you've spoken to us, like I'm the head and not the tail, and it's like quoting scripture at God, and he's like, I want to be the important thing, and like, you know, we want to be up front, and, and God said to him out of that place, he says, you know, a cheetah can't do what a cheetah does if it doesn't have a tail. The tail on a cheetah is like a keel on a ship. It's incredibly important. It helps it corner, helps it run at high speed. Just this is that part of the picture. Just stick with me on that part of the picture. You might feel like you're going away from your purposes, but God knows what he's doing in that join the dots picture. Can we respond like Mary? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So that's the first thing. I have access to his plans. The second point as a servant of Christ, I have access to his protection. I have access to his protection. One of the greatest kings in the Bible, King David, in 2 Samuel chapter 10, there's an account where a king in a neighboring country dies. <clears throat> and David was on good terms with this chap. And so his son, this neighboring king, his son comes to power. So David sends over his servants to go and say, hey, listen, I'm really sorry about your dad. Here's some gifts. Here's some nice things. Let's just carry on being nice to each other, and we'll live well. Our nations will live well together. This guy receives some bad advice from these people and treats David's servants badly. Says things like he cut their clothes off to expose their buttocks and shaved their head and half their beard and things like that. It was, so in those times, it was very degrading things that he did to those. He beat some of them and just treated them badly. So... David hears about this, says to these guys, all right, you guys go and live in this place and you'll be restored and we'll give you some time to grow your hair and your beards back. And then David does this incredible thing. He goes out to the new king, and this new king also then knows what's coming. So he hires a, new, a whole lot of new soldiers to fight for him. But David won't stand for it. David gathers the whole army. And this chapter in, in 2 Samuel 10 records a huge victory for Israelites over this king. An earthly king looking after his earthly servants in that moment. How much more our Father in heaven looking after us when the enemy comes against us. But as a king's servants, when we're on the king's business, we're under the king's protection. And that's a safe place to be. David writes about this over and in, in, in other places in the Psalms, he also writes about it. But just Psalm chapter, chapter 32, verse 7, David says this of the Lord. He says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. 
when we are servants of the king, we have access to his protection. Another moment that we can see this beautifully outworked is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, in the book of Daniel. So they get up there, they're, uh, they're living in Babylon, and they've got positions of influence, and they have to perform certain pagan rituals, and they say, listen, we're just not going to do that. We follow God, and we're going to be about his business. We can work, yeah, and we can prosper and do well, but I'm not going to bow down to our idols. And the king says, well, that's unacceptable. We're going to have to burn you in the furnace. And these three young men say, well, if that's what you're going to do, our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. They trust in God's protection, but they're not overly presumptuous about how he's going to protect them. And so what happens in that story, those three young men get thrown in the furnace. Looks like there's a fourth person in there with them. They come out not burnt, not even smelling like smoke. Incredible story. God's protection over them. When we are the king's servants about the king's business, we are under the king's protection. Thirdly, as a servant of Christ, we have access to his provision. We have access to his plans, we have access to his protection, and we've got access to his provision. One of the key places um, <clears throat> we see this is with Jesus' disciples when he walked on earth. He calls them to follow him. Some of those disciples he calls out of just ordinary jobs, guys that are doing semi-okay. Some of them he calls out of family businesses that, by all accounts and purposes, historians reckon James and John had a fairly thriving family business. It was quite big. He calls Matthew as a tax collector. Matthew was a young man just beginning his career as a tax collector. Tax collectors made a fortune in those days because they robbed people, but they still made lots of money. So he calls them out of this promising career in tax collecting to leave it all behind. And all he says is, leave that and come follow me. There's no like, I'll look after your retirement plan, like you're going to win the lotto at 73 so that your kids will be, you know, have a massive inheritance if you follow me all your life. None of that. He just says, come follow me and be my servant. So as his servants, they have access to his provision. Jesus demonstrates it a number of times. There's He's providing in various occasions. Matthew 14, he multiplies the loaves and the fish to feed a crowd of thousands. Matthew 17, he provides money for taxes. Religious leaders come in and say, hey, do you guys pay your taxes? Peter's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we do. I think Jesus does, but uh, I'm not really sure. He goes to Jesus and he says, hey, they, they say we should pay our taxes. Do we have to pay them? And Jesus says, well, who pays, the sons or those outside the house? And they say, outside the house. He says, yeah, that's right, you're right. But so that they don't get cross with us now, go and catch a fish, and in the fish's mouth you'll find a coin that'll pay your taxes and mine. How many of us come July, August, want to uh, look in in fish's mouths for what's, what the tax man's looking for when you fill out your return? Jesus provides in that moment. And you think, like, that is so unnecessary. That is, like, of all the miracles you could have chosen in that moment. I'm sure there were people who were lame and sick and desperate following around and he's like no Peter you go fishing and there's a coin in a fish's mouth Jesus provides even in the simple ways sometimes we miss those things Kirst had a beautiful word last Sunday of God's provision sometimes we don't even see it when God is providing for us it was the example of this tree that fell and missed the bus by half a meter or so and no one was here in the night to see that maybe Gabriel was standing on the corner of the bus and just said well not today off to the side you don't know how many times in your life have you missed 
God's provision. You don't even know that he's doing it. You leave 10 minutes late and you miss an accident that happened just in front of you. So many times, friends, God provides for us. We don't even see it. We're so unaware of it. As his servants, we have access to his provision. He owns it all, and he's very generous. As his servant, he provides for me. And you know that he explicitly tells us not to worry. Matthew 6, 25 and 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Friends, if, some, if we could get this one right, if we could just get this right, joy and relief for many of us. What will you eat? What, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I have access to his plans. I have access to his protection. I have access to his provision. And fourthly, I have access to his praise. We started off talking about Paul, who repeatedly, repeatedly refers to himself as a, as a servant of Christ. And Paul saw this as a major privilege and a part of his identity. And he started out, ironically, as a, as a persecutor of Christians. He was a, a violent man, Paul. He was quite a strong fellow. But Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. Luke tells the account. And Paul has this incredible encounter with Jesus on the Damascus road. And we've even got a saying now, when we have massive shifts in direction in our lives, we call it a a Damascus road experience. And it comes from what what happened to Paul in Acts chapter 9. But in Acts 26, Paul is recounting the story of what happened. And in verse 16, he says this. He's saying, this is what Jesus said to him. Jesus saying to Paul, now get up and stand on your feet. I, Jesus, have appeared to you to appoint you, Paul, as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant. Jesus thinks it's important enough to make sure that Paul knows he's a servant, that Jesus appears to him in the person. Not just like, oh, you'll be a servant, just on a side note. This is a key part of who Paul was in his ministry and how he served Jesus. Right up front, first thing, before Paul gets any major calling, before he knows he's going to be this apostle, he doesn't know he's going to write half the New Testament, he doesn't know anything, of, you know, people are going to be healed by him, he doesn't know any of that. All he knows is he's encountered Jesus on the road, and Jesus says, I appoint you as a servant, first thing you're going to do. You see, if we can settle that in our hearts, if we can settle the, the servanthood that, we, that is part of our identity, It makes everything else that God calls us to possible. Because then we won't be chasing after those great things. God may use you as an apostle. He may use you as a prophet. He may use you as an evangelist. He may use you to do miracles. But if you haven't got that thing of, I'm a servant of Christ, settled in your heart as your identity, those things will take hold of your life. And you will live for that identity. You will live for, I am that thing. Not, I am a servant of Jesus. Many years later, Near the end of his life, Paul writes to Timothy, the young man who he called a servant earlier. He writes these inspiring words in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. He says, Paul's saying, he says, the time for my departure is near. In other words, I'm going to die soon. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The crown of of righteousness from Jesus. How many of you would like a crown of righteousness from Jesus? All right, me and Kerry, we're going to get crowns of righteousness from Jesus. She's the only one who put her hand up. Some of you don't have because you don't ask. 
That's in James. That's just quoting scripture. How many of us would like the crown of righteousness? Hey, come on. That's the thing. That's, so, so the crown of righteousness was a thing of Jesus going, hey, this is a reward for what you're going to do. Do you know that we are promised rewards in heaven? It's not a bad thing. We don't work for them. We don't live for them. But Jesus says there are rewards that are coming our way. Paul says, this is what's kept me going. This is why I've kept the faith. I've run the race. I've fought the good fight. And it's why you should too, Timothy. The crown of righteousness is awaiting all of us. See, Paul is more interested that he gets the praise from Jesus in heaven than he gets any praise now on earth. He, he wasn't interested in, 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 the, in the temporal things of this world. He wasn't interested in being important to people in this world. He's, he's, he's focused on being faithful to what Jesus has called him to do. Because then he knows he gets a crown, a reward that lasts forever. See, what do you get in this life? It ends at 80, 85. Maybe, maybe 95, some of you make it a bit longer. Some of us are not going to make 70. Hate to break it to you. It's just like a stats thing. Paul says, I want something that is going to last for eternity. I want to live for that thing that's going to last for eternity. And so I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to serve the master. Just in closing, in the parable of the talents that Jesus tells, and by the way, that's, a talent was a measure of payment. It was a, a weight of of gold or something that, that people would get paid. But it's where we get our English word talent from. Like you've got many talents. You can play sport and you can write, you've got neat handwriting and stuff like that. Those are talents that some people have. But in this parable of the talents, and we, you're going to see it highlighted in the midweek video a bit, a bit further and a bit more in depth, but the, the ending of the story, Jesus says something very incredible that I long for personally. That's the, this is the thing that I long to hear most when I die and go and be with the Father in heaven. He says, after the servants have done all that they want to do, they've served the master faithfully. Jesus says, this is the master's response in Matthew 25, 23. He says, this is the master's response to the servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I long for. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. One day you and I will stand before the master. Every single person who's alive does. In our lives, we've had access to his plans, his protection, and his provision. And as a servant of God, if we will serve him, we get access to his praise. That's God praising you, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Doesn't take away from anything of our identity as a child, as being part of God's family. Doesn't mean he sees us lesser than. Doesn't mean he sees us as a tool to be used in his hand. But it does mean that we understand a right relationship, that I am the servant and he is the master. His plans are better than mine. His protection is better than what I could ever do for myself. His provision in my life is better than what I could ever provide in my life. And his praise is worth more to me than anything I can gain in this life. Will we live as servants from an identity that rightly understands that he is the master? Well done, good and faithful servant. Imagine hearing that. That's worth more than Olympic medals. It's worth more than any amount of money and anything we can receive in this life. Let's live as servants of the master. Why don't you stand with me as we pray? Just as we close our eyes in prayer, I'm going to start off the prayer by reading this identity creed over us again. Let's pray. I am a child of God. I am made in the image of God. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I was chosen by him before the world began. I am loved more than I will ever know. 
My Father knows me. My Father cares for me. He takes great delight in me. I have been redeemed. I have been set free. I have been forgiven. I am a saint. I am loved in the Beloved. I am designed and destined for great purposes in Him. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. I am God's holy temple. I am intended to live for His glory. Christ dwells in me. I am a new creation. I am a child of the light. I am part of a new family. I am precious. I am called. I am empowered. I am God's inheritance. I am co-heir with Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I am dead to sin. I am alive to Christ. I am seated with Him in heavenly places. I am a child of God. Father, I thank You that these are the truths that You speak to us through Your Word. Over and over again, Lord, You speak to our identity. Father, I pray by the power of Your Spirit, through Your grace, that we would accept these things by faith, Lord God. We know that without faith, it is impossible to please You, God. And so we want to choose to believe in these things. We want to choose to trust in Your Word, that speaks these things over us, Lord. We want to choose to believe that your word is more true than the lies that we have, than the thoughts that we have about ourselves. We want to choose to believe that your word is more true than what other people have said about us and what other people have spoken over us as to who we are, Lord. Whether we are young or old, Lord, I pray that you would come and transform our identity, come and transform our identity to be more like the truth that you have spoken over us, God. Come and make us understand and make us believe and make us know in the depths of our heart that we are who you say we are because you are the one who has made us God you are the one who has formed us you are the one who has led us all through our lives Lord and so father I pray this morning that you would settle that truth in our heart this week as we go out massage it into the very fiber of our beings that we are servants of the most high king that you are the master and we are the servant that we get to live in the safe place of your plans, your protection, your provision, and we live for your praise, God. Jesus, I thank you that you were the ultimate example, that you were the one who went ahead. You came, gave up everything that you so rightly deserved and owned and was yours in heaven, and you came and served us, Jesus. You came to show us the example, and, and I pray that you would help us to live in that way, Jesus, that, you would that we would live as your disciples, as your followers, as those who are Christians, God, that we would be your representatives on this earth. We would advance your kingdom through serving. Help us this week. Show us where we can serve one another, God. Open our eyes to see the moments where we can be, we can be servants in your kingdom and in your plans, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' gracious name. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. See you all on Tuesday. Still not too late to sign up for a small group. St. Lucia, Monzi, North Bank, Matuba, and online on Wednesday. <laughs>